Hello there, and welcome to the Paradox Podcast. There has been a lot of chatter about whether or not church is essential, and the government has even gotten involved. Because of that, I'll be talking to Pastor Mandy today and asking the question, is church essential? I am very excited to have with me as my guest, although she's not really a guest, she's part of the staff here, Mandy Cordero. Welcome to the Paradox Podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. So today we're talking about church and whether or not it's essential. There's been a lot of conversations in the news as to whether or not church is essential. So Mandy, I was wondering what happens to you or what's your reaction when you hear people talking about church being essential or not essential? I am struck by how incredibly polarizing this subject is. For me, it seems like a, a very simple situation. Church is a church is a community and you can c- do community in many different ways. Um, and so it's always very surprising to me when people are um, incredibly, uh, no, the only way to do church is to meet in person. And then if we don't meet in person, our rights are being squashed and dang the government. And so I'm just like, I don't know. I'm, I'm very taken aback by such extreme responses um, from those who insist on, well, it's our God-given right and obligation to meet. Well, I think that's, I think you've touched on something that's really interesting there because um, there's nowhere in the Bible that it says, you shall gather for one hour on a weekend day <laughs> in the same room and sing hymns and then listen to a sermon. And that's true. That's what people feel like is is like essential or foundational to the faith. Now, as you said, church is a community and there is a communal aspect to faith. Mm-hmm. I would argue across all faith, uh, faith expressions. Right. Right. Um, but there's this sense that it has to be this way and look this kind of uh, look with this kind of feel and all of those things. And I'm just kind of s- struck by how how dominant that position is. It is pretty shocking. It's pretty shocking. I am, you know, as, as you said, there is no verse that says we have to meet for an hour and uh, do all of the church things. I was reminded of a story when I was in high school, one of my religious leaders in, uh, in the school that I uh, grew up in was very adamantly preaching in class that if you don't attend church every week, even if you believe in God, even if you live a loving, careful, intentional life towards others, you cannot possibly be saved. And he was using he was using a verse from the Bible. And I'm trying to remember what that verse was. It was probably something like we gather together or we're supposed to, you know, we come together. I don't know. I don't know. Do you I'm know pretty the verse? Sh- I'm pretty sure it's in Timothy just because everything that comes from Timothy, I think is terrible. Oh <laughs> no. Just, <laughs> well, cause you know, a lot of people don't think Paul wrote that those two letters because mm. there's so much reference to church structure hmm. and I haven't really read them. Honestly. Um, I, we're going to get there when, whenever we do first and second Timothy for right. our sermon series. But the reason why people don't feel like Paul wrote them is because he, the letters use terms that weren't around during Paul's lifetime. Like they talk about deacons mm. and elders and other positions in the church that didn't exist until the mm. second century. 
Um, so that sounds like a very Timothy kind of verse. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, that's, that's why I don't feel comfortable with it. But I, I mean, even then when, when a teacher says that, I think it's important to understand that the teacher gets a paycheck from the institution that he's encouraging oh, yeah. people to attend. Exactly. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's still really interesting. I was, uh, very struck by a young woman, one of my peers in the class who was attending this uh, parochial school um, and did not belong to that particular faith group. And she was constantly holding this guy accountable and he was very annoyed by her. And I remember her very adamantly being like, wait a second, that's just not true. Like it's, it can't be true because over and over we're told that the signs of Christianity and the signs of Jesus followers are love um, and love only. And if you are requiring a church attendance, then that suddenly love ceases to be important. And I was very impressed with her. I Obviously, to this day, I still remember what she was saying. Yeah, and I think that speaks to... Uh, uh, a, a an understanding of God that simply cannot exist outside mm. of a Protestant expression of worship. <laughs> yeah. And I think that this yeah. is what's so interesting about all this is um, the main sacrament of the Protestant Christian denomination is the sermon. And within the Catholic tradition, which is, if you didn't know, has been around a lot longer. I know that you know that. I'm just telling people who are listening. I hear you. Uh, the Catholic tradition, the main sacrament is the Eucharist or the, mm -hmm. the bread and the cup. And mm -hmm. that shifted from um, as part of the Protestant Reformation where the sermon became more and more important. And if you mm -hmm. attend a Catholic mass, then it's, you know, uh, the, the, somebody will say something but it's definitely not the highlight or the high point of the religious gathering. Right. Which is, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because you, you see how the Catholic church is responding in this, in this totally new reality that we're all facing. And it seems to be so much more gracious than the Protestant church is um, very much adamant that in these times we, we highlight the safety of people and uh, it's, you don't, need the Eucharist. You don't need to be here in person. In fact, it's better and more loving to do so apart. I don't know if that makes sense. Why do you think that difference is? Mercy. That's a good question. I don't know if I have an answer yet. Oh, take a stab Why at it. Why do you think that is? <laughs> I think it's that way because um, I think that the Catholic Church has been around for a little while longer. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they feel as threatened by this. Mm. I mean, there was uh, there was a couple weeks ago where there were several mega church pastors in the Inland Empire who were they held a big old press conference demanding that Governor Newsom allow them to reconvene because church was essential. Right. Right. And Mercy. I didn't say this, but one of my Facebook friends did <laughs> because I can't say this stuff on Facebook being a pastor. <laughs> uh, my Facebook friend said Clearly, these people just need more money. <laughs> and it, when you watched when you watched the press conference, it was hard to argue with my Facebook friend because mm -hmm. it just felt like they were saying we've got to be able to gather because of this and that and the other thing. And it just came through loud and clear that they felt like their funding was taking a hit. 
mm. even though they didn't explicitly say it. It just felt that way because it's the only it's the only way they could justify opening again. Now they try uh. to justify like people have to come together to pray and to for counseling and all that stuff. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because all of those things <laughs> that's adorable. It is adorable because all of those things with a little bit of creativity can be, you know, can be created and and lived out um while social distancing. And I think it's uh, it's a serious lack of creativity. Uh, it's driven by fear. If uh, we don't exist, our members are are going to leave, and they're never going to come back. We're we're afraid that people are going to learn that church really is non-essential. Um, I don't know. There's. I feel like it's fear-based, whereas the Catholic Church is is very much. Yeah, I like what you said. They, they've been around for a lot longer. I also think that while I don't always agree with the Catholic theology, one of the things that they do really well is they reason. Fair, they reason fairly well. And like their, their theology is congruent, right? Um, uh, sometimes. You, sometimes. Okay, sometimes, sometimes. But I mean, like, you know, like this idea of uh, just to, I mean, I'm of course I'm going to pick the really hot button topic. This, you know, life is... Uh, life is sacred, right? And so, well, that's why we don't do abortions. That's why we don't believe in the death penalty. Whereas, you know, Protestant mainstream Christianity is against abortions, but very for the death penalty, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so I do feel like they're able to reason out and they have a lot of tradition and history and experience to know that just because they're not able to meet in person doesn't mean that their entire community is going to fall apart. Yeah. And I think that so much of this, uh, I don't know if controversy is the right term, so much of this push from churches to be labeled as essential um, Mm -hmm. just comes down to the fact that the term essential services was selected for Mm. the services that were needed to keep society going, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, you know, first and <laughs> foremost, you have your healthcare workers. They're clearly essential. And right. then you start going down the line of like, well, we've got to have grocery store workers and we have to have mm-hmm. farmers because otherwise people can't eat and sustain life. Right. And it kept going down the list and it seemed like the list kept getting bigger and bigger. And churches looked around and felt really left out, I think. <laughs> I would not be surprised if that was the response. Actually, it rings true, actually. And I mean, you know, even even myself, obviously, I, I would love it if, you know, the, the government said to me, we need you to step up right now. Like, that's my ego coming through that just really wants to hear something like that. But um, the thing is, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. The thing is, churches did need to step up. They really did. I think that looking at what our community has done at the very beginning of when we started social distancing and offering these spaces of connection in all sorts of different types and ways was essential. They just didn't want to step up in the way that they needed to step up in. We are essential, but we are essential from a distance. Yeah. And I think to be able to coach a community through a pandemic Mm -hmm. (laughs) is a real essential service. Yes, but uh, it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel right for what the barometer of what successful church is in America. Hmm. I often say like the number one question I get asked when I tell people that we started a church is, well, how many people attend? 
Hmm. And like that's that's really the marker of whether or not somebody should congratulate me on starting a church or not. Right. <laughs> um, that's true. And that's that's what's so weird and warped about this whole conversation to me is is just this sense that I think a lot of churches are hurt that the government doesn't view them as essential um, when it's really not about what's essential and what's not, because I obviously believe that spiritual care is a very important part mm -hmm. of our, our lifestyles. Um, right. Really what it's about is one of the most dangerous things we can do is right now is gather in large groups, mm -hmm. and that includes churches. And so churches have to think about how they can reinvent themselves to avoid putting their congregations at risk. Right. And the minute it got labeled essential and non-essential is the minute that it all went sideways and churches got really, really hurt by those terms. What do you think about uh, that? I think it, it stems from this, this constant myth that has been raging throughout um, society for the last few decades. Um, it, and it's this idea that there's this war on Christianity. Oh, um, well and said. as soon as there is no, as soon as churches are labeled non-essential, well then by golly, we have ceased to be a Christian nation. Christianity is under persecution. We are fighting for our ounce, like every last ounce to just survive and live and, and cling to this, this, privilege this power and privilege um and as I, I think it feeds into this myth when they hear essential and hear it as an attack it's feeding into that myth of whoa well there's a war on christianity yeah that's well said i adam adam gave a really good sermon i think mm -hmm. it was in november or october somewhere in there where he talked about um the fact that christianity isn't persecuted anymore and he mm -hmm. had a john stewart quote about how all the U.S. presidents have been Christian <laughs> and were not persecuted. And um, I, I remember thinking that we were persecuted as a young Christian. You know, we're talking like mm -hmm. 18, 19 years ago. And it's mm -hmm. amazing how like magnetic and empowering that story was, even though mm -hmm. clearly Christianity wasn't disempowered in that story. It felt like it felt like it gave more purpose and urgency to what I believed in and to the gatherings I was participating in. Oh, yeah. I remember uh, another teacher. Man, I'm just going <laughs> to just lay it out. Teachers. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I remember another teacher who told me that um, whenever the Christian church is persecuted, um, the, the Christian church grows, which is why you know, the fact that we're being persecuted in the United States isn't necessarily a bad thing because it means Christianity is going to grow. And I remember, I think I was, man, I had to be 14 at the time. I remember thinking, yeah. this sounds really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so you're smarter than me. I, I think I heard in sixth, seventh or eighth grade, somewhere in there, uh, mm -hmm. one of my teachers said, the blood of Christians is seed. Which oh. I don't know if that was a Bible verse or a quote from a denominational leader. I can't remember. That's but, gruesome. <laughs> well, it was like they put up a picture of, you know, the, the Christians being persecuted in a Colosseum-like building. Mm -hmm. And they talked about how there was this Roman persecution. And when the empire tried to hold it down, it just caused it to grow, mm. which is like the persecution we're facing today, which <laughs> is nothing like the persecution, quote-unquote persecution that Christians are facing today. <laughs> Yes, nothing. But in eighth grade, I remember just seeing that and being like, yeah, 
yeah, it's just <laughs> like what I'm going through right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the thing is, is it's, it's not like this myth ever really has a chance to die down because every time there is a holy season, such as Easter or Christmas, you hear it all over again. It's rejuvenated and it comes back and it recycles every six months in essence. And it just kind of, you know, sit like sits underneath the, the skin of major Christianity until all of a sudden, whoa, Christmas. And it just happened, I don't know, six months earlier than usual. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Without the word essential, what then role does the church play in your life? I think that church is this really unique space in which people from all different walks of life choose to come together and meet together and um, learn from each other and to hear stories and to honor stories and to be seen and known and also to know and to challenge and to grow. And I think it's, it's all of this, it's, it's community at its best in essence. It's this beautiful commitment of, of people journeying with people while also discussing the difficult things and, and honoring the spiritual aspect and the humanity in each person. That's an excellent answer. Do you have a specific example or examples of mm. that? I'm thinking. I man, it's so interesting because I think that I think that it can be like it can be in the big things, it can also be in the small things. As I'm working with Paradox Kids, I you know, there's the I think one of the best things that we have been doing at at Paradox Kids in, during the week and even on in, even on Saturday mornings is is allowing room and space for our kiddos to find their voices and to uh, to use their voices while also allowing room and space for their peers to use their voices. And so I don't know. I was thinking of this last Tuesday where I decided I didn't want to necessarily have a program. I just hang out with the kids and we do would you rather questions. And it ended up being this just incredible like half an hour of just ridiculous silliness. Um, but it was it was awesome because here they were able to just be like, I would rather do this. And, oh, you would rather do that? That's so interesting. And it was just kind of, I, it's so simple and it's, it's not necessarily emotionally charged. And yet here we are at a very young age teaching them to use their voices and to celebrate their voices while also teaching them that, we can also honor their friends' voices. And I don't know, that's the first thing that came to mind. I know it's not necessarily like a like a serious thing, um, but that's definitely something that I, I think is a simple idea of that practice and like every day just uh, doing church, you know? Yeah. And I, f I find a lot of value in church in the way that um, relationships are formed through church. Mm. I think the people that have cared about me the most in my life have all... Um, not, not all, but, but the majority of them have come through some form or another, the church. Hmm. And, uh, I'm just really grateful for the relationships that have been formed. Yeah. Um, I, I hope that the church can represent, um, or help people to see a God that is much bigger than the church or even just the Christian religion. Um, oh, yeah. I hope that people can see uh, that we can help people see God beyond that. Hmm. But so much of the times that I think are, 
are really, really great and really show the value of church rarely does with the content of the program mm. and usually has to do with the relationships formed around the programming. Mm. Um, it's like the common work that we do that we find out we like hanging out with each other later on. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I think one of the big examples of that is when I used to do Bible camp music, mm. um, just how many genuine, really, really fun friendships have come out of that band mm. that I've stayed in touch with people. I've been able to officiate some weddings out of that band. Yes. Um, and we had this common goal that we were working toward when they were in high school and I was a pastor mm. uh, of making, you know, a meaningful worship experience. Yes. Um, the, the lyrics of the songs have faded, but these relationships have formed and, you know, I've seeing them grow on all different directions and it's been a privilege and honor and mm. just been a lot of fun to be part of their lives in a wide variety of ways. Yes. I love that. I, yeah, the relationships formed. I just, church is addicting when you find a good community. It's just, I, it can be, it's, it's liberating. It's, it really, it goes down to this desire to, to know and to be known. Um, and it's, that's, that's what church has done. I have felt that in a way that I've never experienced before coming to Paradox is just this incredible, man, I can, I can say this and people won't get mad at me. I remember, uh, when I preached the first sermon on Job of the series and I was like, can I, can I talk about the Quran and can I use a Jewish translation of the Bible? And I was like really nervous about it. And yet, um, that was ended up being some of the things that people really appreciated. And I was just what do you mean there's a church that's like this? And I'm finding so much appreciation for, for the Paradox community in that it really does tend to be this, we're people and we're on a journey and we're here to, to question and learn, but also to, to support and appreciate and to know. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Now, how has your perception of the role of church changed in your life? I know we talked a little bit about that when we were doing your, your story episode. Yes. But I'm curious in light of the essential conversation, hmm. where, what your journeys kind of led you as to what you viewed church as before and how that's morphed and evolved over the, over the last couple decades. Hmm. Um, church, when I was a kid, church was, the th was really just Sabbath school and, uh, we didn't go to church. We just went to Sabbath school and it was, it was one of those things that I loved because there were crafts and songs and fuzzy felt animals and I just loved it. Um, and then as I started, as I started attending, um, academy and it more became of like a, a social standard. Uh, it was, if you are a, a Christian in good repute, you are, you attend church and you go to Vespers. Oh, but it's not just attend church. What do you mean? <laughs> in, in high school, it was like, who stands during chapel oh. <laughs> for the worship songs? That's true. We had a mosh I, pit in the, in the chapel and yeah. Yeah, you went to a much, we went to the same high school, but it was a little bit different phase yeah. when you were there. But like, it used to be the most awkward thing where there'd be like 12 kids standing because they apparently love Jesus more than all the rest. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it'd be like this weird spiritual competition that no one asked for. Yes. Oh. Where... Yeah. I, I just couldn't, I, I still like have all these memories and like, you know, if anybody's listening to this that went to high school with me, they'd be like, didn't you stand at some of them? Yes, I did. <laughs> um, 
But I felt weird and conflicted about it the whole time, yeah. which was, is this, is this what it is? Hmm. Is this to see who is willing to stand rather than sit during the songs yeah. is what spiritual endurance really means. Yes. And they would do that in all sorts of ways, not just standing with music. I remember quite frequently once a month, they would have a, a testimony Sabbath school. And if you, it was your space to share how God was working in your life and it became Really like a place of like this good thing happened to me and I know that God did it like woohoo and it became more of a bragging session. But if you didn't say something, then you weren't spiritual, quote unquote. And that's, yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah. So it was definitely more like a status symbol. Like you go to church because that's what you do and that's kind of what's required. And went to university and didn't really attend church. Uh, I, but then I, I was a student missionary for, for two years teaching English in Southeast Asia. And that was where I really fell in love with church. And I, I know we're trying to stay away from this essential language. And so I would say maybe uh, that's where I learned that church community was really valuable and was actually this really incredible gift that, I was completely unaware of. Um, it was a. This was the first time that I really truly understood what it was like to to journey and to to live alongside people and to to go over to their house when they're having you know trouble with uh, with something like a cleaning up their backyard or something or going over and we're just gonna have a meal and or or we're all gonna hang out. This was the first time that it really became relationship centric and people centric. And that has really stuck with me even, uh, it's been about eight years now, I think eight years, something like that, since I, I went over there, um, and came back. And that has, has been pretty much my understanding of church. Since then, I've, you know, I've tried to, to work for the denomination that I grew up with and it, it got a little bit complicated and I was very disheartened by the politics that enter church um and it's really it's incredibly disheartening when you realize how much politics actually goes to run these incredibly huge denominations it becomes a lot more of the bottom dollar it becomes a lot more of how do we how do we maintain our donors how do we not upset the status quo um, and that's just kind of the nature of what it means to be a part of a giant organization is you're not able to adapt to local communities as well. And so I was a little bit disheartened and, uh, yeah, very disheartened by that. And it started becoming how do I play the political game the best in order to find a space? Um, but that, yeah, that all changed when I came to Paradox. It was lovely. Um, and it, it's my shift has been... Man, I, my husband yesterday said, why don't you like ever post things on Facebook just to let all the people know like what you've been doing and letting them know like, how ah, you could have had this, but I'm doing it at this other awesome church. <laughs> um, and I was like, I, I was like, oh, you know, I didn't even, I, that never even occurred to me. I just, I'm so concentrated on this community I'm in and they're the, they're the important people for me and they're who I care about and who, whose opinion I care about. And so as long as they know what I'm doing, I really care less. And that was a really big thing for me. I'm actually was I that was like a moment of celebration for me because, wow, like it has become about this incredible group of people that I have fallen in love with. 
and that's all that matters. Um, and that's pretty great. Well, I think that too, with the word essential, mm-hmm. it just, it feels so wrong because it, it gets into the right, like I, it's my right to attend church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I really resonate with a lot of what you said about your journey there where, mm-hmm. um, where there's like this arc of like, oh, it's more relationally based. And then as soon as you become a pastor, you have a completely different relationship as a, as an employee of the system. Yeah. I want to run three different words by you to describe church that I think are better words than essential. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious what your reactions are. So you're just going to react to each word. Okay. The first one is irreplaceable. Hmm. I love that. Why do you like that one? Um, because it's such a unique space. Um, I don't know of any other, and, and this might just be my own ignorance, but I don't know of any other space or, or group of people that, that meets in such a capacity um, while also talking and discussing the most vulnerable aspects of life. Um, and if they okay. do exist, that's pretty rare. And so, yeah. uh, but it's also... <laughs> I was going to say essential. <laughs> it's also very... Right, you lost the game. I know. It's also very, very important. Very important. Um, it's critical so work. I, I think we I think we need to talk for a minute about... I, I assume that if people don't attend Paradox, mm-hmm. they hear you talking about people with different mindsets and all of these mm. and like different people coming together and they're like, oh, hold on. Hmm. The churches I know are churches where you come and you have the same mindset. Mm. And this is not a conversation to hold paradox up on a pedestal. Right. As much as to talk about um, the difference between that expression of faith versus an expression of faith that celebrates diversity. What have you experienced or seen that helps uh, churches to go more toward a diverse expression of worship rather than toward one that's more uh, homogenous? Like what kind of practices that we I've seen? What kind of practices or things do you feel like are important for that? Hmm. I think that um, one of the things that I have loved about paradox is this I, this this statement that we say before all of our sermons that sermons are meant to begin discussions, not to end them. And I think that's incredibly important because it says that it declares we don't have all of the answers and in fact a discussion is the way in which we can get closer to maybe an answer that is is a little bit more satisfactory which means that even though I'm up here preaching and I'm saying all of these things I could very well be wrong and here I just by the fact that I'm admitting like I we need to have discussion is is proof that I'm willing to be told I'm wrong um, I'm willing yeah. to have the discussion. I think that's incredibly important. Um, at the last church that I pastored at, we had, um, and I think Paradox has done this a few times. Not, I don't think since I've been here, but um, we we used to have these panels every every summer, and uh, we had this series called uh, "If These Pews Could Talk" or "Bios" was another series where we would have members come and sh- up and share their stories and panels. And so we've had panels made up of five kids talking about what is church and what does it mean to you? And we've had um, panels of people with uh, 
with chronic illness and tell us about your story and, and what, how does faith play a role in that? And we've had people who are older and so like an aged panel um, and, you know, tell us what it's like to get older. How does, how, what is difficult about that? How is, how is your faith in that story, in your story and how does it relate to getting older? And all of those things I think are so important because it is, it's, valuing the story and valuing that each of these people are saying things with a little bit different theology and very different experiences and yet here we are up front honoring and cherishing and holding those stories as a congregation and so that's another thing that I found incredibly valuable yeah I don't know if I've told you the story but um when I became best friends with an atheist mm -hmm. um and he was way smarter than me it was obviously <laughs> it led to a severe crisis of faith mm. I just wished when I would have so Tyler's biggest objection to faith is you know how can there be so much suffering when they're supposedly a good God in charge of all of mm. this I just wish that one pastor because <laughs> I asked a lot of pastors mm -hmm. uh w how we were supposed to answer that rather than attempting to answer it, they just would have said, Craig, church isn't about, uh, church is not about answering that question. Mm -hmm. Church is about how we live together in the midst of unresolved suffering. Oh, I love that. And I wish, I just wish that would have happened because it completely changes the perspective of what church is supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. in my opinion, that's where church becomes irreplaceable. Mm -hmm. Because it's like there's this sense that, oh, these people these people hold on to some of the same beliefs I do. Um, and also there's a wide variety of beliefs mm -hmm. that we, we hold on to. But we're all trying to figure out how to move through this thing called life and not respond to all of this suffering with fear or anger or violence, but instead with love, compassion, and mercy. Yes. I love that. I love that so much. And that's what I found to be really irreplaceable from church is I, I um, and it's not only church that I found those relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think the minute that you say that church relationships are better than all the other relationships is when you get into essential territory Very and start true. freaking out a little bit. Oh, <laughs> but um, I, it's those, that's what I've really valued um, are, are those conversations, those relationships, those interactions. Mm -hmm. And that's where I found it to just be, like if, if church went away tomorrow, I'd be really sad primarily for that reason. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that's, I think that's I, where the sacredness comes in is we're allowing, we're allowing others to journey with us in these very vulnerable, sacred moments. Um, mm -hmm. and, and to do so, I don't know, responsibly, intentionally, or hopefully responsibly and intentionally. Um, but yeah, you can also find those relationships outside of church. Um, but it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm like a church advocate. I'm like annoyingly you so. You kind of have to be as a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like. We have an agenda, so. everybody. Yes. Yeah. Go to church. We're great. <laughs> <laughs> but attendance is not the highest point. No. we talked about earlier. No. I mean, church right, happens. The oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say church happens outside, right? Like I love the meals that I get to have with families or with people outside. Like that is a form of church or um, we're going to go hiking or we're just I'm going to have a phone call with a with a member or um, those types of things are church. Mm -hmm. Anyways. 
Which brings us to our second word. Okay. Church is not essential, but church is human. What do you think of that one? I love that one too. And why do you like that one? Hmm. I'm going to like all of these. I just feel it already. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll pick one controversial. I'm going to add a fourth bonus one that will be very controversial that will really try to stretch. So (laughs) let's start with human though. You like that one. Why do you like human? I do. Um, When we say that church is human, I think that it can stem all the way back to, to Genesis 1 when it, the poet says that God has created humanity and humanity is good and humanity is in the image of God. And I think that that church really fulfills that honoring of that humanity. Um, it fulfills this this idea that you are human and therefore you are valuable and, and you carry the image of God. And to honor that humanity means that we are we are being honest and vulnerable and intentional with the way we interact with each other and um, allowing space for this full expression of humanity, which means not only these these highs of, wow, God is good, life is good, but also these lows of, ah, man, like, what the heck, God? And I'm, I'm devastated, and I, I have no ability to see any light at the end of this tunnel, and then everything in between, and when we say it's human, it's this all-encompassing embrace of the human experience while also recognizing that humanity at its core is good and carries the image of God. Yeah, and I think one thing that's really helped me to understand church being human more than more than essential or more than you know more than divine even mm-hmm. is when you really believe and trust the incarnation the idea that god became human mm-hmm. ultimately that's god declaring that humanity is good yes and that to live in the fullness of this human body and this human experience is ultimately a worthwhile and good thing to do mm-hmm. and so a church at its best helps people to become fully human, more so than fully divine. I, I think churches get quite a, qu- get in a problematic territory when they try to encourage people to be divine. I but agree. the more they encourage them to be uh, a human being to the best that a human being can be mm. is when a church becomes truly human. Yes. I think this is one of the big reasons why churches, in my opinion, should be at the forefront saying we're not going to meet until it's safe because we care for the elderly. We care for those who have uh, pre-existing conditions that uh, raise the risk of, of termination or, you know, mortality with this disease. And that's when you view the church as a human body, then all of a sudden you realize that putting that risk (laughs) on putting that risk unnecessarily on people is really counter to what the church actually is. I totally agree. It's human centric. And as soon as you, as soon as it starts becoming about anything else, then you have lost this, Mm -hmm. this, this complete movement of God in order to be with us. Yep. Okay. So now we're going to do the bonus word because you said that you like, you had a feeling you'd like all these. So I'm going to try and throw a, throw a wrench into it. So this is going to, this is the third word, but I I saved the one that I think you'll like the most for the last. Okay. The third word is church is not essential. Church is dangerous. Oh, 
I got you to think about this one a little bit at least. (laughs) Yeah, I'm intrigued and not necessarily in a negative way. Um, What do you think when you hear that? Oh, man, I think of it from from two angles. I think of it as, well, yeah, church is dangerous. We are seeing, um, I think of of Westboro, right? Um, This church that has uh, is infamous for for picketing um, funerals and for declaring things like 9-11 happened because homosexuality exists um, or things like that. And in those cases, yeah, that those it's incredibly dangerous. It's also um, it's also dangerous in terms of, uh, you know, when when people say when we hear churches nowadays saying things like, we are essential and therefore we are going to meet because we believe in God and God will protect us from the coronavirus. That is a very real physical danger that that church is representing. Um, and I think it can also be, I think there, I think church can be dangerous in, in, in like the way that paradox exists. I think that most of Christianity would look at our little church and say, we are dangerous. I know I'm thinking of my grandmother, right? My grandmother, if she <laughs> knew I was, I would belong to an affirming church and, um, and was, a, you know, was, was actively preaching the full acceptance of all people, regardless of gender, sexuality, race, and all of the things. Um, I think she would be horrified. Um, and I would say, I would say with full confidence, she would say we are a danger. Um, I think of, uh, communities that have labeled me as a danger because I am a woman who preaches and who has taken on this role of ministry and had been, I've been told, well, you are fulfilling the role of Satan, you know, and that's to them, I am a danger. And so it's such an interesting idea that church is dangerous because, yeah, church is dangerous and it's dangerous in many different ways. It's either dangerous in that it adds to the hate, the, the disregard for human life, the, um, the propping up of, of oppressive systems, um, or it's a danger in the fact that, oh no, we're going to shake all the things up and we're going to demand, you know, a a worldview shift because we believe that the gospel requires a radical shift of a a shift of approach to life. And so, um, it's multifaceted. Well, that's well said. I think it might be better than what I can say about it. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I said that, that word is I feel like the biggest sin of the modern church is the fact that it does not educate its congregations about how it enabled white supremacy to enslave Africans Hmm. and encourage them to do that through their theology, right? Yes. And it's like there's no teaching of that theological history, even though it is by far and away the biggest sin in the church in America's history. Yeah. And it's just never taught. That's true. (laughs) And I bring that up now because... There's never, there's never a conversation, and I've never gotten the sense of this for people who are, you know, protesting or suing the governor and saying we need to open because we're essential. I've never heard any self-reflection uh, about, you know, maybe it's not always a good thing that we meet. 
Hmm. Um, and to be able to accept that, I think, is more important than viewing church as essential hmm. because the church has done horrifically evil things yep. in our history. And obviously, there's some good things. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here still. <laughs> um, but but I think to be able to acknowledge that and accept it, I think, is incredibly more important than the ability to just tell people that church is essential mm. and to recognize the danger that can happen when you're, you insist that church is always a good thing or that church always has people's best interest in mind because the history, and you don't have to go back that far in history to realize that it simply doesn't all the time. Right. And so we have to accept that. And I think that's a much more mature response than saying that church is essential. I love that. I, I think that is very well said. I think that it's, um, yeah, I think this self-reflection aspect is so important. And I think people are afraid to do that. Um, and it happens in all facets of life. I'm reading a book called White Fragility right now. And it's talking about why are white people afraid to look at the racial systems. And I think it's interesting to kind of apply that to church congregations in the church world because I think no one likes to see the negative in them no one likes to see the negative history and there's if you want to to push into to distance yourself but in I love what you said that's actually a, a hugely irresponsible and uh, very harmful approach well, uh, I was hoping I could get you a little more controversial on that one, but I feel Sorry. like we landed in the same place. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Which brings us to the fourth and final word. Church is not essential. Church is holy. Oh, I do love that one. Yes. <laughs> Why do you love that? Because I know there's a lot of reaction that happens when you say the word holy. Uh, what yeah. does holy mean to you and why does it apply to church? Mm. So I did a word study in my Greek class on the word holy in the book of Romans. Um, and it was such a, it was such an eye-opening word study. And what you do is you take the word holy um, in Greek and you see where it is used in the entire book and see how it's applied. And over and over and over, the word holy in the book of Romans is used whenever community is loving and, and cherishing and honoring each other. Um, I just wow. realized I used all of, all, of the, all of the marriage words for that, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I, I mean, you see it with the Holy Spirit, too, when it's mentioned, but it's a very community word in the book of Romans. And so I, ever since I have, I have finished that study and turned that paper in and, and my teacher was like, yes, good job. You've picked up on it. And I was like, yes, um, I have, I've taken that to heart. Um, this holy is, is a relationship and it's a relationship in which you honor that humanity in the other person and you honor their experience and you, um, allow space and allow room for them to to share their experience in such a way that it, it changes you um and i think i think holy is that holy is community and it's community that is is 
intent on growing and being healthy together, which doesn't mean that it's perfect or a utopian community. It just means that it's, it's this commitment of, again, honoring that image of God and, and the relationship. And so when I hear that church is an essential, church is holy, I love that because it's this re- recognition that more than the sermon, more than the songs, church is relational and church is, is people coming together and being together and committed to being together in a way that is beautiful and transformative. Yeah, I, I've never heard that about Romans, but I thought that was really, really well said and really interesting. Yeah. Um, for me, I, you put better words to it than I could, but <laughs> the, uh, for me, like one of the holiest, the two holiest moments of my life have been being at the birth of my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, some people call it liminal space. Other people call it um, transcendent experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like this thing that I can't miss this because this just doesn't happen that often. Yeah. <laughs> it's happened twice in my life and that's going to be it. <laughs> um, but church, what's interesting about church is it, when you ask people what they like about church, mm-hmm. Or what they do, they very rarely name specific weeks. Every now and then it shows up, but it's it's so often just the repetition of being there every week and having this community and these people in their lives as part of their as part of their weekly rituals, right? Mm. And I think church is at its best when it kind of transcends a specific and it's more of a feeling that you get from being part of it. Oh, I um, love that. And it's well, thank you. It's very <laughs> kind. <laughs> but it, I mean, I just—it's really, really hard to get people to name specifics when they go to you know thirty to forty church services a year. Mm. But the thing that they do that they do f- have is they have this sense that oh, I feel this when I'm at the community, or I value this when I'm part of the community. Mm. And holy always speaks about that, which is which is simply filling something that you can't experience in m- many other ways. Mm. Um, and so I hope, I hope people experience that at Paradox and um, at other churches that they're part of um, or other expressions of religious faith um, because I think that that's what they're all trying to get at is this, this sense that we are connected um, in, the, in the week-to-week mm. <laughs> actions and rituals of our lives and that we are not so alone in this big, beautiful world. Yes, I think that's incredibly well said. Well, we did it. We talked about church, whether yes. it's essential or not. Yes. Well, so, hey, Mandy, thanks so much for talking to me, and I uh, appreciate you sitting down. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, um, I'm speaking to everybody now, not just you, Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you have any questions or comments or ideas for a podcast, just let us know. But we hope that you have a great rest of your week, and we hope to see you soon, hopefully in person in the near future. It's getting closer. So we hope to see you soon. Take care.